Welcome to day five of our look together through John chapter nine and daily drive time devotions. This is the day we've been waiting for, the day when this man reconnects with Jesus, this man that's been healed from blindness and expresses faith in Jesus Christ. Throughout this week, we've looked at the conflict that many people have had because of this miracle that Jesus worked, the conflict that shows that they could not see spiritually. And you see in the conflict the reasons we don't see spiritually. We stay in our doubt, we stay in our pride, we stay in our fear, we stay in our prejudice. You don't have to stay there. And through all the conflict in this chapter, now we come in the last verses to the resolution. And the resolution is trust. The resolution is in the response of this man. Let me read for you what happened in verses 35 to 38. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This man believes in Jesus and worships Jesus. One of the greatest expressions of belief and worship in the entire entire experience of the ministry of Jesus. But there's a question here. Why does it take so long? Why does it take so long for Jesus and the man to reconnect? Why does Jesus wait until after he's been put out? It says here that Jesus went and found him. Why does he wait until he's been put out of the temple? Remember, we talked about this yesterday. Put out. He's separated from his people. He's separated from his community. Why does he wait? He waits because he wasn't trying to protect the man or comfort the man. He was trying to lead this man to trust. He knew that there was deeper need in this man's life. And as you look at this man's life, he teaches us something about the deeper needs in my life, in your life. He teaches us something about what enables us to see, to see spiritually. He teaches us about trust. How do you see spiritually? You trust Jesus with your life. It's interesting. In the experience of this man, you really see two parts of trust, enlightenment and commitment. First, you're enlightened. The light comes on and you see, oh, I can trust. And then comes commitment. You decide to trust. Enlightenment happens for this man throughout the chapter. There's this growth in understanding of who Jesus is throughout the chapter. Back in verse 11, as this man talks about Jesus, he says, it's the man they call Jesus. He just knows his name. In verse 17, as he's talking with the Pharisees, the man says, oh, he's a prophet. So he knows something more about Jesus. He equates him with the prophets of the Old Testament. But here in verse 38, he's asking about the Messiah. And he says, are you the one? And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. He worships him as God. The light comes on when we understand that Jesus is more than just a wonderful man or a godly prophet, a godly messenger, but he is God's promise of light for my life. It's interesting here that Jesus gives this man the time to see the truth. Sometimes, like with the Apostle Paul, the light dawns on you suddenly. But sometimes it's like a dimmer that's being turned up, and the light dawns in you slowly but surely. And here is Jesus Christ who brought light to this man's life. Jesus didn't bring light to the world or share light with the world. He is the light of the world. He's the light that we need. And this man began to realize that. He was enlightened more and more, but then there came a moment in his life when his understanding had to take the next step. First, there's enlightenment, but understanding isn't enough. Intellectual assent to some truths isn't enough for trust. Trust means commitment, an expression of personal belief. 
And this man's expression of personal belief is prompted by the question of Jesus, do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, first, let's just take an aside for a moment. What does Son of Man mean? We've looked at Son of God a few times in our study through uh, John, but we haven't really focused on this phrase, Son of Man, as yet. Jesus uses both Son of God and Son of Man, which makes sense in in that he is both God and man, 100% God, 100% man as he walked this earth. The phrase Son of Man doesn't just mean that he was born of a human being. It is a messianic title from the Old Testament. Over in the book of Daniel, Daniel 7, 13 to 14 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom and all people, nations, and languages that they should serve him. And so the Son of Man is this picture of the Messiah who is to come. It is Jesus' favorite title for himself. In fact, he uses uses this title for himself in Matthew alone 28 times. Now, we don't know exactly why, but I think it's because it's a title of Messiah that didn't carry as much baggage as the Son of God. And he was able to identify to help them to understand and define it better by his talk about who he really is. And it is interesting, as you see Jesus talking about himself being the Son of Man, that he uses the definite article in the Greek language, the word the in all cases but one when he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Not a Son of Man, but the, in capital letters, the Son of Man. In our language today, when we use the phrase, the man, we mean the most important person in the situation, the man. Well, the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself as the most important person, the God-man, to ever walk this earth. And Jesus says to the man who had been healed of his blindness, are you ready to make the step of commitment to the Son of Man, to the Messiah? Do you believe? He needed to move from enlightenment to commitment. You see, many of us live life one step short of commitment. You may have grown in understanding, but now it's time to express your trust. It takes more than being in the company of the committed. It takes making a commitment for yourself. And so this man makes the commitment, I believe, and he worshiped him. The question is, has that moment come in your relationship to Jesus Christ? Is your relationship with Jesus Christ a he's helped me relationship? I prayed and he helped me. Is it a he is a prophet relationship? I think he's written some good things, said some good things that teach me. Or is it? and I believe relationship. Look at what Jesus said about commitment at the end of this chapter, verses 39 to 41. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and they asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. As we've walked through John, it seems sometimes like Jesus goes back and forth on this issue of judgment. He says he came not to condemn in chapter 3, but here he says, for judgment I came. What is this all about? Well, Jesus came to bring a message of salvation, not a message of condemnation. But in that message of salvation, and as you see how he's pushing these religious leaders here, because he knows what it's going to take for them to see. In this message of salvation, we have to have, I have to have, you have to have the humility to admit what I do not see. 
And if I do not admit that, the message of salvation, even in and of itself, is a message of judgment. I, I've heard it, but I won't admit it. I won't see what's right in front of my eyes. I push it away. And then we become, as Jesus said, those who think they see, but because of our prideful thinking that we see, we remain blind. It's those who admit that they can't see, that they have needs in their life, that there's an emptiness in their life. Those are those who come to Jesus Christ, who truly see. In these verses, Jesus is showing us it is our pride that keeps us from seeing. And our pride is our choice. It's a choice to live based on what I think that I can see so that I can say I did it myself. This gets to the root of what enables you and I to see, to trust. When it enables you to trust, humility. I have to admit that I'm spiritually blind before I can spiritually see. Can you imagine a blind person trying to pretend that they could see? It makes no sense. It would be more than ridiculous. It would be dangerous. Can you imagine a person who's spiritually blind, pretending that they spiritually see? It takes no imagination at all. I've seen it in my life. You've seen it in your life. We see it in people's lives all the time. It's more than ridiculous. It's incredibly dangerous because Jesus has something different for us. You don't have to stay there. I don't have to stay there. In my relationship with him or in an issue in my life, I can begin to see but it starts with humility. As we pray today, I want to encourage you to pray the prayer that the Apostle Paul taught us to pray about seeing in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. Just pray this prayer back to him in your mind. Pray, Jesus, I pray that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened so that I I could know the hope to which you've called me, so that I could see the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints in your people, and so that I could see your incomparably great power for all who believe. That power that's like the working of your mighty strength. Jesus, I pray this prayer for faith from your word. In your name, amen. Well, join us next week. We're going to be looking together at John chapter 10, which I believe is one of the most assuring chapters in all of the Bible. 